Welcome to the top. Oh, yeah. One percenter show. I'm Paul Salamanca. And I'm Tom Bocard. Thanks for joining us today to learn how some of the top 1% CEOs, sales leaders, coaches, athletes, and other professionals have overcame adversity and built their top 1%er mindset. That's right. And this show is live 6 p.m. Eastern every Thursday. If you want to see one of these shows live, you could go to our home base, which is top1percenter.com. You could also see links to previous episodes there or download the show where all podcasts are available. You can also apply for the Top 1% Academy. It's a private sales network exclusively for top members and a few sales professionals are accepted each quarter to attend the Top 1% Academy. That's also available on top1percenter.com. So Tom, let's get into this next guest this next show, I'm looking forward to it. Take it from the top, man, 1%. Take it, take it from the top, man, 1%. Take it from the top, man, 1%. 1%. Oh, yeah. All right, welcome to the top. I'm your host, Paul Salamanca, along with Tom Bocard. And we're co-founders of the Top 1%er Academy, a sales training boot camp for high-growth companies and sales professionals designed to transform average salespeople into top-performing sales teams in their respective industries, and we have proven over and over again that with the right mindset, dedication combined with our top sales methodology, anyone can make it to the top 1% in sales. But don't take my word for it. Let's quickly hear from some of our graduates who have made it to the top 1% in their sales leaderboard within six months of graduating from the top academy. I was 200% to quota last month. Top top rep in North America month two. <laughs> well, I got promoted. <laughs> so that, and I think the academy definitely helped with that. Because I just hit back-to-back months, which nobody on our team's done. Our sales um, in the last last month have, have really increased or doubled since January. Well, I am honestly pretty confident in saying that I am the best AE on my team. It's the way to be. You've got you to gotta be a top one percenter. you got to seek out the best in everything you do. Uh, you got to have the confidence and you got to learn the skill sets to do it. And that was just a few of many great results, but we have a show to get to, so let's get started. And I'm excited for today's show. Today we have a very, very special guest, Andy Flanagan, CEO of Telehealth. And a company that provides high quality virtual behavioral health services. Andy's prior experiences include being a three-time CEO, including a founding, founding a SaaS company and holding senior level positions at Siemens, Healthcare, SAP, and Xerox. So Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Great to be together today. Yeah, likewise. And I know I gave a brief overview of what your company does. And before we get uh, into your current role at uh, Iris Telehealth. The last role you had before becoming a CEO, and, and I, we were talking about this before the show, uh, you're a salesperson at heart, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in this. So you were a senior VP of sales at Siemens before your first CEO job. So looking back now, what would you say was the biggest learning curve going from senior VP to a CEO? You know, really, uh, you really have to be uh, have a complete understanding of every aspect of your business without being an expert. You know, in sales, we're trained to know everything, have an answer for everything, have a way to figure out what the answer is and get it. Yeah, that's not the job of the CEO, and it's a a very difficult shift for senior commercial leaders to manage the control 
orientation that we all have. And uh, the number one answer is teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. And you, your sole job, your most important job as a CEO will be the senior team that you hire who will have different skills than you have. CFO, chief product officer, technology officer, compliance officer, you go down the line. You're not going to be an expert in those areas. So you don't know how to make a perfect hire. If you're hiring a chief revenue officer, you're highly qualified to make that hire, right? Yep. You know yep. who you're looking for. So you really have to develop a, a, a mindset. And mine is interdependency. It's off of Stephen Covey's model. But the whole idea that I want the team to work together and they have to work together to resolve the vast majority of the issues. My job is going to be to set strategy, work directly with our key customers, right? Uh, and doesn't mean the largest, but there are times in every sales cycle you need executive presence. So uh, I learn from customers. I love being with customers, but uh, strategy, customer engagement, and then facilitating continuous improvement across the team. So it's, it's, it is a full-time job, but it's amorphous and it's hard to have short-term milestones like you can have in sales. So that's, that's, those are a few of the points I would say. So, so how did you get comfortable with that transition? Did you have a mentor that was a CEO? I'm sure your first CEO job, you were interviewing against other CEOs, right? That have done that before. So what made you different and how did you get that job over other CEOs that have already been in that seat before? Yeah, I mean, one of the benefits of being in the, on the growth side of the business is what board of directors doesn't want to grow? Like that's the fundamental yeah. job of a CEO. Grow this company, help it be profitable, help it succeed, help it win. And so people coming from the chief revenue officer uh, position come with a huge value proposition out of the gate because of how they think. Your orientation matters. And you said that in your opening. I completely agree with that. So what you're really talking about is critical thinking things that we we do in strategic selling. You have to build a plan. You have to actually have a, a, a process. And so I run our entire business every week. And Monday of next week, I start over. I push the annual planning process. It starts on November 1st. It's done on the 15th of December <laughs> every year. So by compartmentalizing the major functions of your job, you can keep yourself on track and also give yourself time to be agile. That's the hardest part. That's what I've learned in now, you know, many years of being a CEO. Uh, I would say that that's what I had to learn. And you're right. I talked to a lot of a lot of mentors about just like this. What worked for you? What didn't? No one gave me the answer, right? That's not what yeah. we're looking for. They gave me enough pointers that allowed me to find my own version of the answer. Yeah. So I was really lucky to have Tom Dolan, you know, some people that came up through commercial leadership organizations at Xerox. And uh, Tom is one of the all-time classic uh, seasoned senior field executives in, in the world. So I was lucky to have him as a mentor. I am lucky. That's excellent. So I, I read a lot and I hear a lot about these executives, CEOs that are excellent at managing time. How any, any, any advice around how you manage your time? Because as you said, you have a million things going on mm -hmm. and you have uh, yeah. many different functions. What, 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 what advice can you give the listeners about ways you manage your time? Yeah. First thing is that you should expect to change how you manage your time every six months because the needs of the business change. So you need to be a different CEO every six months. The first 90 days in any job, we know this, you're just, 
trying to get up on the surfboard, trying to figure that out. So you're going to prioritize your life differently. But at some point, 45, 60 days in, you have a general view. That should be the first time you should say, okay, where do I need to spend my time? And in in this, in the batting order for me is number one is cash. Your number one job as CEOs don't run out of money. Yep. So you have to understand treasury. You have to understand the accounting, get into the PL side, which is not something we spend a lot of time on as a chief revenue officer. Yep. So that and that's the area the board's going to be most concerned about a revenue officer becoming a CEO is how well did they understand PLs and capitalization, financing, whether it's structured debt, whether it's you know equity. There are ten, people that teach you all that stuff. So it's not daunting. It's just you have to master that first to know the unit economics of the business. And then um, in the, the next six months, this is my fourth company now, uh, you're really engaging directly in the field with the customers, with your employees. You're seeing the processes at work. You're attending meetings to learn, not necessarily to lead. And then the, the six months after that, you're really now in strategy mode. Okay, so you now you're in the second half of your first year and you should have one or two really big hits that you say, this is how I'm going to transform this company. This is how I'm going to impact it. And you hear all the time, uh, you know, it's a great company. It's a great technology. They just need a commercial organization or it's yeah. a great commercial organization. They just need to shore up the technology. There's always something. Right. Yeah. That's why they're looking for a CEO. Right. If everything was just perfect, yeah. aside from the occasional retirement, there's a reason. And so you have to embrace that challenge and you have to have, you know, alignment with your board and you're talking to them often to make sure that the strategy that you have is, you know, benefiting from their experience. So they become somewhat mentors in the beginning, you know, that they, they can help you guide that work along with your team. But then, you know, in the second year and your third year, you know, you start carving out, in in my view, you know, you start carving out more strategy time. For me, I block the first hour of the day from 7 to 8 a.m. I'll take calls if it's important, like a customer or something like that. But I don't accept meetings so that I can do my job as CEO. Yep. And, um, you yeah, know, but, but again, when you set up the, the business to run it every week with the process meetings, your deck report meeting, one-on-ones, senior team meeting, you know, you have a, a financial review, you have an HR review, like these things sound very familiar to people who have run large sales organizations, even small sales yep. organizations. Yep. The content's different, but it's actually, you've learned those skills by the time you're sitting in the chair. So you mentioned, so right now, I know you said you expect your, your kind of schedule to change every six months. You mentioned seven to 8 a.m. is your time strategy. Walk me through day in the life in general of a CEO of your life of your day. Yeah. So a typical day would be, um, you know, you're touching base with you'll have two or three key operators on your senior staff and three or four sh shared services people. You're calling these people. Paul, how's it going today? How you doing? You're not calling about like this. You're just saying, how are you doing? I'm good. Your day going OK? You need anything? All good? All right. Yeah. That's it. High relationship, low task. You're just touching in to get a vibe. You have to know their schedule so you don't call them in the middle of their forecast call because they're going to pick up, right? You don't <laughs> want to be stuck. But, but that's, that's, that's where it starts. Yeah. And then I always have a handful of customer engagements. I just finished an hour with a customer solo, you know, me meeting with one of their senior executives and a top to top. There's an initial meeting. So I like doing that alone just so it's very personal. Yep. 
Um, and and so, you know, I would say that in the course of a, a day, I'll have three or four scheduled meetings that are typically half hour to 45 minutes. I, I, I stop all my meetings that I schedule at 50. So I leave 10 minutes between the meeting and the next one. Yeah. We all know there's no difference between 60 minutes and 50 minutes in a meeting with 15 people. There's zero difference. So that 10 minutes, just me, what should happen next? What's the most important thing? What's next? Get a bio break, whatever it takes. But I usually have three to four of those meetings. And, um, you know, you need to provide probably two hours for just optionality as a CEO. There's just a, there's a long list of things that you just can't anticipate that you have to be available for. Ball, board, strategic partners, customer escalations, contract negotiations. You know, you are the decision maker. There's, there's no like, hey, let's think about this in a week. They're calling you for a decision. Yep. You know, the, the most important thing is to make sure that you're not really making somebody else's decision, which is especially early, usually the case, because why should I decide? Let's give it to Andy. If he decides, then I don't have to. There's a lot of that risk early in your career. You don't see it, but it's natural. And so you're going to make probably 10 or 12 really important decisions around the annual plan. But in the course of a day, you know, I'm part of four or five customer decisions, product decisions, something like that. And they just, you need to be available. You need to be, you know, accessible. Can't be behind the door. I love that. I love the 10 minutes. I think uh, one book I read was the great CEO within or the CEO within talked a lot about that. A lot of good, uh, good notes there. And same thing about reinventing yourself every six months. Really helpful. I love that. Um, Okay, great. So that's, now that you're in the CEO spot, things are moving along great. If you're thinking back to a moment in time where things maybe weren't so great, where maybe your back was against the wall personally or professionally, um, you don't get to where you are without that top 1% of mindset. And uh, can you remember I, when that mindset started, how you developed that mindset or a moment in time where you got to leverage that mindset to overcome a very big obstacle? 10.05 a.m. on December 15th. Year doesn't matter. 2002, literally. So, I mean, it was just one of those moments where we're like, wow, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a real bind. And we've tried everything. And we realized that time, like I said, we're, we're, we're in trouble. And so I left the building and went down to a pizza shop on the corner that hadn't opened yet and knocked on the door. They let me in. And I said, I'm just going to sit here. They're going to, you know, it's right around the corner. So we went there all the time for lunch and everything else. And I just sat there, stared outside the window, just literally trying to figure it out. And uh, I was with a teammate of mine, Dan, and we started joking, gallows humor, right? We started joking about like how, how much trouble we were really in. And, uh, and we said, well, what, what if we just do this? Yeah, we might as well do that. Sounds like. We should do that. When we got up, we ran out of the building and we fixed it in about two hours. Wow. And of course, it's about cash, right? I mean, it's, it's the only thing as a CEO you worry about. It's the only thing that could possibly just, you know, this is dot com and run a software company. Uh, you know, we have all these employees. It's the night of the Christmas party, like the whole thing, right? Yeah. What, what the heck are we going to do? But the reality is we went back to our customers and we went back to our suppliers and we went back to our bank and, and we worked it out because we had been great partners to them, very transparent and consistent. 
We never, you know, missed anything. We we're very responsible. We knew our business well. We represented our business well. And uh, and in dark times, people were there for us, which we didn't really think they would be. Yeah. We had earned the right to call in a favor without even thinking it like a mark. It wasn't that way. Yep. It was a favor. It was a reasonable ask, right? We all know stretch asks are okay, yep. you know, occasionally. But but that was really the story. And um, it was, uh, <laughs> I mean, to this day, like, I know the time of the clock. Like, that's how striking it was. And uh, and that's how we worked through that's great. So, and you mentioned you were, was that your CFO? Who were you with? Someone, someone. That was my, my business partner, someone I worked with at Xerox. I left and then he joined uh, 90 days, 120 days later. You know, I was went from employee, you know, whatever corner office at, at Xerox at a building into a uh, basement office with no windows and no chairs. That was <laughs> work. I had a software right in the web page. So uh, he joined me about 90s later. And so, you know, we were partners for many years in that business, successful business. That's great. And then, so when you, when you overcome that, it feels great. It's a rush. It's unbelievable. And the next time you're in that situation, you know, you've done it before. So it becomes almost a, uh, a muscle memory and it gets a little bit easier and it's more of expecting to figure it out. How do you hire for that? How do you ask questions where you know if somebody has that or not? You know, a lot of people hide their failures on resumes. And I look for the failures on resumes. It's free experience. I don't have to pay for that experience. I don't have to teach anybody that story. And, you know, if someone works long enough, they're going to have mistakes. They're going to get there. They're going to join a company and it's just not going to go well. They're going to have a bad year. Uh, they're not going to like their boss. They're not going to get the promotion. They're not going to, we could all go on. Right. And my advice is just embrace yourself for the totality of you. And the things you didn't do, do well are things you recognize you didn't do well. Otherwise you couldn't tell a story. If you don't know, you've ever, never done something poorly. You haven't learned anything yet, or at least you haven't learned that thing yet. So when someone says, yeah, I've always succeeded. I've never had any problems. I've never had, you're like, okay, so you still haven't learned. <laughs> right now, I have to teach you. You're good on offense, but you know defense. That's the way yeah. I think. And so, when someone, to your point, it's a great question. It's your job. Like you know, go at the soft spots, and you learn about people. I, that, that's what I go after. You know, you laugh about it. I, I laugh about things that some of the mistakes I made. I mean, there's no other way to do to you know, laugh or you cry. And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is, uh, that's very true. And then you, even if it's not on the resume, you, you could ask about, sim- you know, similar story moment in time right. where back was against the wall. And I think you could feel the details if it's real or not. And, you know, based on what they're, te- what they're saying, if they're actually gone through some adversity, what's, um, Andy, what's screaming at you right now? What's the number one priority for you? So actually I'm hiring a chief revenue officer right now. Yep. So, um, you know, really, that's probably uh, number, uh, definitely is number one. It's one of my most senior jobs. Uh, our business has changed dramatically. I've been here three years. You know, we've grown exponentially. Uh, we're profitable. And, and so, you know, how big of an athlete do I bring in? Do I bring in somebody who's perfectly positioned for two years from now, this year, last year to keep it going? Yep. You know, we're going to do some acquisitions here in this coming year. And so that'll change things as well. So 
So I'm, I'm really trying to spend time with the sales team and with customers right now, just making sure I really have a pulse on our new products and how they're being received in the market, our core business, which is our profit engine, and making sure the balance, I don't over-orient on innovation and somebody who's going to just do this when this is this pays the bills, right? We, oh, yeah. So you have a you have a ditch digging business, right? And yep. that that has to be tended well, can't be ignored. So yeah, so that's that's my number one thing. Um in, in doing so, I would say without the hiring in in front of me, I'm actually trying to assess where the market has moved in the last 12 months. You know, we're post-COVID, we're in the telehealth business and behavioral yep. health. So obviously things um, became very extreme, but the volume of need has not receded. But we can now travel. You can go to the office again. And so the, the world, we're 100% virtual. So the world has shifted. I'm just trying to get a good read on where I think it is and its trajectory so that I understand, you know, kind of where to invest our money in marketing and where to invest our money in operations. So that's an interesting point. So telehealth boomed during COVID. COVID is over, um, technically. Mm-hmm. Not technically, but pretty much over. Yeah, in the epidemic, for sure. And you're saying that the demand is still there. Right? People are still just like returning back to the office. People don't want to do that anymore. They right. want to still work remotely. But now you're figuring out how much growth is there. And that's interesting. So what are you seeing in that respect? Yeah. So, you know, if you kind of think about healthcare as a regulated industry, uh, you, you recognize that they don't have strong balance sheets, at meaning health systems and community mental health centers to just hire ahead of demand. They have to slowly grow into demand because, the, you know, they're very fragile P&Ls in general, single digit net income kind of P&Ls. And so we're going to we're moving more into helping them grow, whereas before we were completely filling the medical gap. We were their psychiatric yep. resource. Yep. And in the future, you know, kind of three things have happened. Number one, the volume has doubled. So you'd normally say everything we did for them, they can do. But now there's 200% more on top of it. That's yeah. our job. Got it. We're kind of giving them what we did so we can take the next step, which would be their digital front door. You know, the, the community outreach, all the hospitals and behavioral health are defensive. They can barely... Yep. Keep up with the inbound, much less reaching out to patients who have explicit needs, you know. So interesting. Yeah, it is. And so there's it's not a story of there's a shortage of work. It's not a zero-sum game. You know, we we should have a thousand competitors because together we still couldn't solve the demand. So yep. it's a it's a very different makeup to my time in software, enterprise software at SAP, where you know it was a win-lose. You're you're fighting Oracle. For the customer, one was going to win. And when you win, you win the entire value yeah. chain of that company for 15 years, right? So it's a very different setup. So I'm assuming you do have a sales team, correct? Yes, yeah, quite large. Yeah. yeah. And then, so who are they selling to? They're selling to these hospitals or how are yeah, they? they sell health systems, hospitals, community mental health centers, and federally qualified health centers. So you, if, you know, if, if any of the listeners go to any town, any zip code, and you type in behavioral health, you're going to see a federally qualified health center for Medicaid, Medicare. You're going to see private practice psychiatrists or therapists, um, more, more likely therapy. You'll see the health system come up, and that's pretty much the value chain. <laughs> the psychiatrists are very 
they're few and far between. Half of all the counties in the United States don't have a psychiatrist in them. Yeah. So it's it's really limited in terms of resources. But our our job is to tie together the enterprise health system and the community resources <clears throat> to provide, let's just say for here, Dallas, a comprehensive, you know, panel of clinicians that that can help them with their behavioral health journey. That's our job. And so the phys- <clears throat> the physical side is um <clears throat> excuse me is important you know, we're, we're complementing and integrating into the physical resources of a community yep to augment them that's what that's right is. very interesting all right so for the cro's listening and interested in applying where who do they reach out to they can ping me directly andy.flanagan at iristelehealth.com that's good that's a good uh Top the top one percent of show gets fifteen percent referral fee for anyone that goes directly. <laughs> <laughs> Are there net bookings? Are we? No. <laughs> I like that even better. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like we could sit here for hours talking shop, and I want to thank you, Andy, for coming on to the top one percent of show. You. If there was one advice you'd like to give your younger self out there who's looking to get into either sales leadership or becoming a CEO, what's that one advice you'd give? Yeah, it would be to work really hard on making only one of you. So we all have that persona we put on. We go in the office and work. This is how I should work. This is how I should look as the people are looking at me. They expect me to be a certain way. Don't buy into it. You're a certain way at home when you talk about work. Learn to talk at work about work that same way. You'll improve your mental health. You'll be far more successful. You'll be an authentic leader and people will follow you through multiple companies. I love that. Great advice. Thanks again for coming on the show. It was great having you. And for the millions around the world listening, stay tuned for our next guest next week. So Andy, thanks again. Thanks, Paul. Happy New Year. Likewise. Welcome to the top. Oh, yeah. We kill the annual quotas. It's the one percenter show. In case you haven't noticed, we talking cold calling and sales and start with tight rhymes. Around here, we maintaining a four times pipeline.